So, first podcast on the month on motivation. I'm here, Marco Karim Belahuan, with my special guest this week, Luca. I don't actually know how to pronounce your last name. Neither do I. Neither. Yeah, Abba Vikrama. One, one more time. Abba Vikrama. Okay, alright. So, if you guys want to practice that at home, just keep giving it a try. Now we're going to be eating. We made um, a really nice vegan meal, which I think I think is a success. I've hit some really it's nice delicious. flavors with it. So, if you hate the idea of people eating while they speak, you know, let me know or something, and I'll and I'll change it. This month we're going to be focusing on motivation and specifically what motivates people the ideas of responsibility around it and um, how much thought do people actually give to self-motivation in particular so uh, I'm just going to start with asking that first question that you know all our guests are going to get asked what motivates you Luca? Um, I I feel motivated in any environment where there's like some kind of new challenge, so like something's different, something's uncomfortable. Um, so let's say you move to like a new city, like when I moved to Leeds or whatever, and Right. You've got to try and meet new people, and you've got to com- pretty much just motivate yourself to do that. So, go to events that you think would interest you, and then if they do interest you, then meeting people who have similar interests to you. Right. So, basically, challenging yourself and putting yourself in positions that make you uncomfortable. That's the. Um, first line of what you're saying is quite interesting because of the idea of discomfort I mean people generally tend to avoid discomfort and you've uh, you've just basically put out the base of your motivation what if um, you know what if you weren't as you say in a position where you're uncomfortable could you still get motivated I'm sure I could but in different ways I guess I like the feeling of challenge but some people like a feeling of um, kind of consistency um, and that could also motivate them so maybe people want to get in the rhythm and use that rhythm to then progress up from that maybe they want some kind of uh, maybe their progress Maybe their challenge or motivation is for like some other kind of um, change. So maybe they want to get a better job, improve their job. Right, right. Where they might be in a position where they're already really comfortable, mm. but they're kind of reaching for that discomfort of a new job or just something that's better. Yep. It's interesting how you you put in, you know, this this whole idea of, well, the first new thing that you went to was the job aspect, which I think a lot of people misunderstand their role with work, but that's something that we'll cover another time in talking about a person's work and their desire to to work. Um, I think a, a big thing that really works for me, that you put down earlier is the um, the kind of hopes of our parents for us mm. I'm the, I personally I'm the, the type of person who really gets motivated by expectation mm. so a lot of people think that it's kind of bad to put pressure on your kids and put that expectation on them like I expect you to do well and so on but I think it's all about how you do it. And with my parents, they just kind of 
they they never expected me to to come like last, whether it was intellectually or well, mainly intellectually, because that's the thing that they put me through. Lots mm. of different areas of motiv- like motivation. Going to a new country when I was young, and I was we used to do these monthly tests, and they give you like a report card and say, "This is where you are in the class." Like mm. they'd actually give you a ranking. Mm. And I remember in my first ranking, I was so embarrassed that I lied to my dad. Like I remember this probably like the dumbest lie. My cousin was in the car next to me, mm. and I go. So there's 24 people in the class, and I'm ranked 20th. And I go to I go to my dad. Oh no! So the ranking system is, it starts from 20, goes to 19, 18, and then one, and then goes 24, 23, 22, 21. And my dad, I don't know if he was just kind of like nodding along or some, but he was a bit like, yeah, okay, right, <laughs> yeah. And my cousin was just like... to lie about your number. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he saw it, you know, he saw the actual physical paper. I couldn't be like, oh, no. Um, So my cousin was there being like, you you absolute liar. There's no way that's the actual system. And then, you know, I worked hard. And then the next term, I was fourth. Mm. And that, for me, was... You know, it was a big sense of reward. It was, back when I was younger, the the main source of motivation that I could have I had drawn from was like the, the, almost like the pride of my parents. To know mm-hmm. that I've done them well um, was, was tense. And, and it's a lot easier back then. Def, definitely a lot easier. Like, when you've got less less things to focus on mm. when your parents' views and your views seem to be the same. And then when you grow up, you get different views and there's this chunk, this junction between the things that you believe and they believe. And it's just, it's a lot harder. So overall, I'd say it's not just your parents' hopes, but people who have a position of authority and care for you mm. simultaneously that you want to make better. Yeah. But honestly, I don't think a lot of people have that same belief, you know? Mm. Like, I don't think many people would say that they're conscientious of how other people feel. Like, I I imagine some people might get a bit defensive to the idea of placing their motivation in the arms of someone else's desires. Mm. I think it's quite common in, like, because obviously both our families are like from abroad, mm-hmm. and I think abroad it's um, a different kind of story. Well, that's just what I've imagined it to be anyway. Like all of my Indian friends, for example, always had like a lot of pressure from their parents, right, to right, yeah. do well academically. And they've got that classic: um, you're going to be a doctor yeah, or a exactly, lawyer. Exactly, yeah. uh, you're not going to school to study psychology yeah, yeah, or yeah. to do. Sociology, that's some that's some nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that my, my parents think the same way. Mm. Even even though they haven't been to university themselves. Yeah. Right. They'll be like, You better get something that's impressive and honestly that's that's why I personally did maths and philosophy because my parents couldn't go Oh, well that was a bad choice. Mm. That was one of the reasons. Where 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 are your parents from? Sri Lanka and Georgia. Okay. Do you feel that both of them had that mindset, or mm. yeah, one more than the other? No, not really. I mean, they both just what they both like instilled in me was like a desire to learn. So then it didn't really become like something where they're like forcing me down a certain path. It was like they're helping me along mm-hmm. into that mentality where. It's good to learn and it's good to know stuff. So right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to do it for the sake of it and not, like, for any other reason. Yeah. I guess it's self-betterment as well, you know, the more you know. I know, yeah. I, I like it when I can be helpful in a random situation. I'm like, oh, that was because... That was because I randomly looked, read this book yeah. at one time and yeah, maybe. now I know I mean, how that to... That sounds quite silly to say, but... 
No, I, I do know what you mean. There is uh, the idea of not being uh, a uh, liability in a situation is is definitely a positive feeling to have and to feel. Now, the question though, as we kind of mentioned the theme of growing older and how your motivation might change and how how you draw motivation from people around you might change. Like, for example, with the parents, changing their beliefs, realizing that you don't necessarily want the exact same thing. So now you have to find some kind of concept that you might agree with. And then when you go into the conceptual plane of, of reality, if, if you are even thinking like that, you, really, you try to identify your parents' one. And personally, like I mentioned to you earlier, I struggle to get that with my mum and my dad for different reasons. But, you know, I, I dream that maybe, maybe if they did, you know, we'd be back on the, on the same playing field, just enjoying each other's company. Like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever you say, dad. Mm. Like, like, like when I was eight years old. Um, but how do you, how do you think people actually stay motivated? One main um, one main uh, method of maintaining motivation, I thought, ties in with both of them. Both of the ideas I had tie in with what we were talking about earlier. So one being progress, if it's work or whatever, but incentives. So like, if you have an opportunity to improve your lifestyle um, at work or in any other part of your daily life, then that progress, like levels in a video game, right, will keep you motivated. So you'll never like, you'll never like fall back and just be like, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. Because I guess, in its in the best way, um, but in the best instances when it happens, pro like motivation is like a video game. Yeah. Like addictive. And, yeah, and you want to get more. It snowballs. Yeah. You start a small success, and then all of a sudden, you start to keep it up. Yeah, I'm definitely familiar with that feeling, especially the video game analogy. I used to love role-playing games when I was younger, especially the ones where you level up. Like, oh my god, get from level one to two. Even now, like, I see so many ads on on Instagram and Facebook, and I, I just want to download the game. And the first thing that the game's got is some kind of leveling up system. The first thing that the game's got is uh, some kind of leveling up system. So you. You get addicted straight away, and obviously the, the smaller levels are the easier ones. And maybe, maybe, I guess you have some kind of comparison to life where, you know, primary school is kind of kind of the easy one. You know, you have less less responsibility, less obligation. The challenges that you meet are are overcome with a lot of support. Um, but then. Then when uh, people start facing real life, all of a sudden there's less support. Mm. There's the the whole idea of that that disjunction between people's views and people's beliefs, and you have to struggle with that. And um, personally, I've I've experienced it a lot because at heart I'm a very agreeable person. I like I like to be in a room of people who who generally think the same thing. Uh, or not just think the same thing, but just understand how a person can think that thing. Mm. And then their conversation is based on their understanding of the person they're speaking to. So like, there's no need to get angry at someone yeah. if you have no idea why they think the thing that they do. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, let me just throw something at you and then your reaction doesn't really matter. Mm. So it's a bit 
almost savage in, in my mind at least but it's I would say that when I've had like bouts of sadness in my life it's when I felt that 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 rolling of motivation has just come to a halt and I just cannot get it going you know mm -hmm. I start with the idea of all right so I I do Muay Thai I do fitness let me just get back on on the exercise and I'll start doing that and then something else will come in the problem that made me halt to begin with I'll just try and avoid that problem and not do it and I just start take the first few steps and all of a sudden I'm sitting down in the back same place and obviously I'm no psychologist and I'm no um, I'm no expert in that but I do think that a lot of younger people will would relate to that to the the loss of momentum in their life yeah, and the, the inability to to try and make every moment a successful one because mm. yeah. that's that's the pressure that you feel how how else well how how could you put yourself in a position where you're more likely to to keep staying motivated knowing that these obstacles are there yeah I don't know it's a hard one because I guess you can just look at all the kids who like finish uni one year you like see how they like a lot of them like go home mm. for a bit like oh they're like oh yeah the climax of uni is over and now it's time to like do something else but I'm sure but then it's like so easy to just get in a slump where you're like mmm I'm in it I'm back home and I'm back where I started right right and then um maybe it's not as easy to find a job as you thought it was yeah um and then you're like oh all of that was for nothing and then not only are you physically back home but you're also like mentally like damn all of that doing was like all that three years was just to come yeah. back to this moment where I'm also again yeah and your parents treat you the same yeah yeah because sat that's how they used to treat yeah, you yeah exactly yeah. yeah you get home and they're like oh come back at 11 yeah. <laughs> what time are you like, getting in what are you like, doing this mom don't you know like <laughs> yeah. I've been away for three years and I've gotten home at like five o'clock yeah in the morning and uh you didn't know that <laughs> mm. it's quite funny so you graduated last year was it this this year this summer this summer yeah was it yeah oh only god it's been year, that right? short yeah wow and you've you stayed in Leeds yeah over, over, the, over the summer yeah so, was that like a, was it just a choice that you prefer Leeds to where you live? Or was it, is it also that it's easier to, to stay motivated in Leeds? Um, I think it's quite a few things. I really feel like, because I'm from Hatfield, um, like the scene here, so I like making music. And I feel like I need to just keep making music. Yeah? Just right. in my room, like every morning, just making tunes. Cool. Um, Can people find find these tunes? Not really. I mean, there's like very simple jams that are on YouTube. You can put a link in your podcast or something. Yeah, yeah, I can. But it's not really worth listening to. Well, in hopefully that case, I won't. <laughs> hopefully, I'll put something out a bit better. But I'm just playing around at the minute. Alright, cool. He's uh, he's aligning his talent. The master. Need to find the proper like sound. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just and I like it, living here. Like I'm five minutes cycle to the city center. Leeds is a really like well sized city that definitely keeps me like ticking over right and keeps me being like okay I can do something now I should do something then and it's big enough for there to always be things but I'm like I should go to that do that 
Yeah, it's been both because I like being a lead and also because it is just quite a conducive place for creativity, I think. Okay. As opposed to Hatfield where you wouldn't have access to that. Yeah, I mean, in Hatfield I would probably have more time to myself to make music, but I would also have less opportunities to go out and get inspiration. Right, yeah. I also have more friends here. Mm. Like way more friends. That's cool. Which is also another source of inspiration and motivation. Yeah. yeah. It's like almost like parents, but just a different kind of angle. Right. You mean in terms of uh, how your motivation comes yeah. up? Yeah. Because they're not. They are, in a sense, a kind of. Not necessarily an authority figure, but a figure in your life yeah. that you wouldn't want to, to let down. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely like a source of inspiration or like. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think I've been thinking a lot recently about why I stayed in Leeds after after I finished uni, and it was. I actually went home, um, straight away as soon as it finished. Didn't even stay the summer. And messed around a bit, then did a personal training course because I was like, cool, I'm going to get on this. <laughs> yeah, back in London. And then um, as soon as I wanted to get started, I checked out the gyms near me and the starting fee was like, you had to pay rent. That was like 1100 a month. And I had no, no clients, nothing. It was like, starting costs a bit too much. So then what I started doing is I just started getting motivated and just doing anything. I got a job, was working this job, I come home and because I was I had this let's call it snowball of motivation on it, I'd come home and I I'd just be cleaning up like after my brothers and after my mum. And then as soon as that was done, I'd you know, I'd very quickly get focused on this and that. And it really felt like, even though I was in London, I was hardly seeing my friends. Like, it almost felt like the, the uh, if we're talking about motivation, the place in motivation where you don't want to be. You're like too overly enthusiastic to do the specific thing that you're doing, that you mm. just like have tunnel vision for life. You forget that the rest exists. What was the job? It was just a really basic job. It wasn't anything like, like hard, well, yeah. say hard for like an office job. It was yeah. just working at uh, the chain Ed's Easy Diner as a waiter. And I just, I knew that I get up and because you're interacting with people, I always felt that you're just, you have to be, you have to be present. Mm. You have to look people in the eye. You have to smile. Mm. And if you're tired as fuck and just kind of like look a bit like shit, for yeah. me, that's like a disappointment. Yeah. Like, uh, it's kind of like that motivation, that external motivation. But I actually decided to come back to Leeds so that I could step away from that type of motivation. So I think we're reaching a point here where we kind of have to define the difference in motivation. So I stepped back to Leeds because I felt that I was losing control in London. I came back to Leeds because for me, Leeds is a much quieter city. Mm. I interact with people on a more wholesome level. Like if I know you, maybe maybe I've seen you like at the gym and we recognize each other's faces and we say hi. But most people I know, like I, I take the time to actually get to know them. And there's no rush, you know? When I'm speaking to someone, I'm not rushing away trying to be like, oh yeah, that was great. Okay, bye. Oh yeah, I'll talk to you soon. And then soon never comes. Yeah. Because you are not in control of that. Um, so coming back to Leeds definitely was to get away from, from that. Um, and I've stayed just because slowly I've been making progress in finding motivation from my decisions. Like you see it, you see it in a bit, if you've seen any kind of self-help stuff or, or even 
just standard posts on Facebook. You have to be, uh, you've probably seen the, the whole idea of sometimes you have to do stuff for you. Hmm. Like, you have to be selfish. So I think that really comes in on when you have motivation or when your motivation comes from the expectations of others, that can really throw a spanner in the works of your, say, life plan. Like, yeah, you have this yeah, idea yeah. about how things are going to go out. And you, you know, you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Mm. But then you spend the entire day working to the expectations of potentially people you haven't carefully chosen. Mm. So, like, I'm very inviting and agreeable. So, <clears throat> if I speak to someone and they're there like, saying this, oh, you should do that, you should do this, I honestly am considering it. Mm. People are like, oh, yeah, you should definitely try and open your own gym I'm there being like then I go back and I'm like breathe <laughs> take some time I don't I'm not in a position where I want to make that kind of investment yeah mm. I want to learn get more knowledge first but people have these ideas and because I'm agreeable I try to please them and I lose I almost lose control of my direction like because of that I very much admire people who can just straight up be like, nope, nope, and just shut people down. Because, you know, it's a weakness of mine. Why well, do you think it's a weakness that you give certain ideas time that you shouldn't have time? Like, it's not like a waste of your time considering opening a gym. It's yeah, yeah, of, like, of course, of course. But So with any other, you know, analogous example... I guess it's not like doing any harm to you considering something like opening a gym or whatever. So I guess if you're being open-minded about what anyone is saying, that's always better than being like, oh, no, you're talking crap. Like, shut up. Yeah. Because firstly, that just like always kills the mood of a conversation. Like maybe you're going to, yeah. Get something quite yeah. good from that conversation. You just Yeah, maybe um, you're gonna leave that. You just tried to you just, yeah, you just well. killed it. No, I, I do I do understand that and that's that's why I I would argue for the state. When I say I'm I'm envious and I see it as a weakness, yeah. What I've had a weakness of is managing my social life. So I've always been the kind of person of like you make friends with the people who are around you. You just do. Like, even if you kind of don't really like the person, mm. you still make friends with them. And if you do this your whole life, and you've done it a few times, because I think when I was younger, I moved around quite a bit. Mm. I knew that, you know, having it, you learn the importance of having friends and being part of a community when you're very young. Yeah. And um, I think I never actually realized that you can choose the community that you surround yourself with. So, I'll give you a, a simple example. Like maybe, as an o as an open person, this is the first uh, distinguishing barrier. So maybe you give loads of time to say homeless people mm. who come and and talk to you. They're like, "Oh, have you have you got a minute? Can I just talk to you? Um, I need this. I need that." And then. They start talking and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll listen. And all of a sudden you're invested in the idea and you, you know, you treat them like a human. Mm. But then the same homeless person comes your way with the same story and the same approach and the timings of how he speaks and gets you in. Yeah. All of a sudden you realize that this guy is just like a, he's almost like a salesman yeah. for give me money yeah, because I'm yeah, homeless. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's not got that human view of you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you can, you can be disappointed in that you. sense. Yeah, but yeah. very quickly, you start to put loads of people in his position yeah. as like, I'm not giving you that time. Mm. I'm not giving you that time. Yeah. And I think that's the first example of like social management where the thing that I, I'm envious of is when people very quickly learn to select their friends. And I've always steered away from this because 
I've always thought of it as a bit, a bit manipulative, and manipulative has that negative connotation. Yeah, like, yeah, like, oh yeah, he's just friends with that person because he wants this, mm. and it's it's weird because when you put it down to it, it's like, yeah, sure, okay, or like, oh, he's just talking to the hot girl because he wants to sleep with her, mm. like probably down. Like, your instincts are there being like, oh, yeah, I want to be surrounded by beautiful women. Yeah. But very quickly, you know, you grow up or you you differentiate, differentiate between something that you enjoy talking about and so on. All of a sudden, you might want to be surrounded with people that are caring on the same level that you are rather than with people that are just going to fucking push your face into the ground mm. just to, I don't know, grab, grab a little bit of food on the side because... If they can, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Like I feel like that's that type of social management is is important because if you give your time to that person, they and they abuse it, you should probably learn not to give it again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's quite it's quite an interesting interesting concept in terms of of where you place your motivation and, and how you build it. But what was, what was it we were talking about earlier? It was, oh yeah, it was, where does, whose actual responsibility is it to keep you motivated? You know, is it your parents to keep setting like adequate expectations? Who who's yeah, would you I say? I think it's a good old combination of a few of them. Do you think? But obviously as with anything that you control always comes down to you and it. Yeah. If your parents yeah. want you to do something then you're one of those people who's like, I don't care what my parents want then there you go, you've already mm-hmm. like gotten rid of that. Yeah. Part of motivation. So it almost becomes redundant. Mm-hmm. But then if, you know, half a year down the line, you're like, oh, wait, but I should probably do something with my life. Then that's you, isn't it? So you're saying that the, the individual is responsible for their motivation? Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately. Now, at what, at what point do you become responsible? So, I mean... Let's, let's look at this uh, in a broader perspective, right? So we've talked a lot about motivation in the relationship between, um, say, like the parent figure or the immediate friend mm. uh, or the person who's just immediately interacting with you in their yeah. life. But if we look at it from a, a larger community management perspective, almost like uh, if you imagine how the, the government might might be like, okay, we need to get an education system in. And we need to try and enforce it. Like, and get kids who want to yeah. learn and do well. Yeah. In that, in that sense, who's responsible? Whose responsibility is to motivate them? I guess that has a whole chain of responsibilities of like how we should get kids through school because at the minute the education system is not helping many and it starts with the government mm. we, we'd like to think them. that at least yeah. I'd like to think that the government was directly in control but again that's a different podcast conspiracy theories but I don't care <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely got enough control to not cut money into school yeah, yeah. Which is definitely something that is going to make kids feel less valued. Mm-hmm. And then I think if you feel less valued, you expect less of yourself. Yeah. And yeah. then if you expect less of yourself, you're not very Your motivation to be just doesn't, Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Well, what about the, um, the, the other side of that? 
you know, like I said, I moved away from London because there was just so much. I had no, no time to make a, make a decision because mm. I was just constantly motivated to, to act on what was in front of me. With the responsibility though, do you think there's a specific age where the parent loses the um, the ability to be the how can I say this the responsible uh, motivator? So like like stops being like the chief motivator. Yeah, pretty much. And becomes like a bit more a bit more of like a a person you can let into your life to help motivate you. To right. fan the fire of your flames or shut them out, and let you yourself fan the that fire. Fire yourself. Mm. Mm. Well, I guess I couldn't really put an age on it. What about yourself? Did you? Can you recall a time? I guess one one thing is like learning the piano. Okay. I was learning the piano. My mom was like practice the piano and I was I don't want to do it I hate the piano right um and then you know you play it for maybe like three years four years mm-hmm. I don't want to play the piano you have to play the piano to practice um and then once you start getting near to that state at which you are in control of what it is you're trying to do yeah so maybe learning if you get to a stage where you can read a book about biology or whatever then yeah. you can then go and read that book whereas up until that stage where you're still learning how to read or yeah. you're still learning some concepts you can't okay so I guess it's once you become a bit more autonomous in ah I see what you mean what that's, that's a really good word because like now I play the piano every day do you? yeah well it's a keyboard but it's pretty much you know, it's, you use all the things you learn on the piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that. What pedals and that? Uh, yeah, but that, the stuff, yeah. once you get the pedals, you got the pedals. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Alright, that's nice. That's really and nice. then my mum never calls me and is like, are you playing the piano? <laughs> you know? You better be playing the piano. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. She, she asked me what you're doing, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, you know, working some shifts, I'm making music, and she's like, oh, I'm she's, making music. She, you know, she puts the phone down and just laughs to herself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, yeah, she told me, like, you will thank me one day yeah, yeah. for this. And, like, four years ago or something, I went up to her, and I was like, thanks, thank mom. <laughs> and no one else plays like me, apart from the, the few people. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's, uh, I really like that, that word autonomous because uh, when, when it comes to motivation, I think it's not necessarily the, um, the responsibility of the adult to motivate the individual. I mean, I like, I'm sure parents would love their child to be motivated, you know, have an active interest. And I, I'm pretty sure that if the child doesn't have an active interest, People just people get a bit worried. They're like, "Oh, what, what, what's going on?" Um, and that's more for psychological ideas of, of where that that comes. Um, but I think, in terms of motivation, I don't think they should provide the fire, but more guide the flame. Mm. So, like, I don't know, the equivalent of maybe putting a little splash of of petrol across. Maybe not petrol, maybe just standard wood. So it could burn, burn in the direction of where they want to learn. As long as we want to keep the analogy. Yeah. Because things like, things like reading and writing, like you said, like after they, they're things that you do just automatically. They're things that, that open up your eyes. They make you understand so much more. If I couldn't read, wow. If I can write, I mean, not as bad because yeah. I'm a pretty terrible writer. But yeah, I never really write. Yeah, uh, not a lot of people do. Mm. Um, but yeah, as well, exercise. Like, if your parent motivate your child to move, 
get to know their body. Because when they get to like 20, 25, and those hormones start shutting down, and all of a sudden everyone's fat, right? <laughs> they're going to thank you for being like, oh, I can actually move around. And it's weird, you know? I was at uni with this guy. <laughs> uh, but all of a sudden, they're just kind of fat. <laughs> And you're there, like, hmm. yeah, I haven't experienced that. I haven't experienced yeah. that yet, but you've just finished, you've just finished uni. Yeah. And I guess, like, I don't just have uni as well, but it's like, uh, the groups, group of my friends that I've had in London, like, all of them have, have gone down different paths, and then we come back every now and again, and we see each other, and, and you notice, like, that difference because obviously they they are gradually changing mm. but you see them like a year yeah. later and it's like how when you see like your second cousin like after four years you're like yeah. oh you've like, grown whoa. so much exactly yeah. or did you have a beard what, what happened to your teeth like what's yeah, going on exactly. um yeah it's a it's a real it's a real interesting part the the process of responsibility ultimately though we agree that the self is is responsible for for keeping that that fire going, the fire of motivation. Yeah, I don't know if you can have a different answer to this one. Well, I mean, playing devil's advocate, I personally, I like to believe that the self should be responsible because then you you kind of create your freedom. Like, yeah, exactly. It's not like you have this like pie in the sky that's like you're depending on it to be motivated. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a nice kind of conclusion. It's a uh, because you can't blame anyone else. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, um, the so in the past, people thought that the sun circled around the earth, yeah. right, making it uh, egocentric, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. I can't remember the exact term. And <clears throat> I feel like when you're self-motivated, that is how the universe kind of works, right? Like the the world rotates around you, and so on. And this is where I think principles like greed come into play. Things like uh, overconfidence, arrogance, those negative traits like, oh, I don't like that person there. Yeah. They're too they're too cocky. They're too yeah, like yeah. this. When you're too focused on, on the self. Yeah. Which again, I think I think what we're really getting to now is is it probably comes down to balance. Like the idea of maintaining motivation is probably down to balance. You need to motivate yourself not too much. Mm. And not too selfishly. Yeah. Because, I mean, even the earth rotates around the sun. And the sun rotates around something. Well, the galaxy, no, solar system, there is, rotates around something else. So there is, like, you choose what is you rotating around. But I guess once you realize that's the case, it's a pretty intense decision. It's kind of like, I personally haven't gone into the classic, finish uni, get into a grad scheme mm. and start there. Yeah. Just because I feel that, well, at first, partially to do my grades, I lost a bit of confidence. I didn't get a 2-1 and a bit down. I was like, let me think about what I really want to do. But also, the experiences that a lot of my friends have been having have been very discouraging in the sense that they start their work, you know, rotating around the company, like they're the yeah. earth, rotating yeah. around the sun. Yeah. And they come back home and they've put so much effort, you know, that being the center where they're going, oh, that, that they kind of lose their life again. Kind of like that over-motivation from the external point of view. Mm. And companies are getting really good at trying to motivate individuals. Like, I mean... Obviously, it's a positive thing if your company motivates you. Yeah. But losing independence from it because it's a positive thing is a negative thing. So, like, uh, 
<clears throat> a friend of mine goes to work and they have <clears throat> they have after five o'clock they provide them with free beer um, at work they've got like a foosball table snooker work pays for them for a regular night out they have a night out at work so on. so they stay within that work community yeah. you've got people that are finishing at five o'clock and they're just hanging around work until seven because mm. they've got this this kind of social club yeah, yeah, there yeah. as well yeah. now that's really great but at the same time are you trapping those your people. those people yeah it's and pretty then, sad isn't it and obviously you look to them and you're like well it's your responsibility to to motivate yourself but the work's gone oh that's cool I'm gonna I'm gonna you will motivate you you see them as a great thing and then I just feel like a few years later people realise that their focus has been in a position where they don't want to shift because they're comfortable which leads me to the next question really and why does why does self-motivation even have an industry like by industry I mean you know, there's loads of self-help books. There's self-help seminars. There's gurus. There's big speakers. You know, why does that exist? Why, why do you think? <clears throat> well, I guess it's because a lot of people understand that they are the... Like... Main source for their own motivation. So if you recognise it, but you, but you still don't have any, like, progress in terms of wanting to do something more, something different in your life, then you're like, oh, let's see if I can get someone else to motivate me to motivate myself. Because if you go to a guru, you're going to the guru because you want to get the guru to get you to motivate yourself. Yeah, yeah. To like reignite that that fire and keep you have to fan it and keep it keep it going yourself. Yeah, which yeah. is quite odd because like you'd think that that kind of stuff only comes from like your own personal experience because your guru doesn't know you as yeah. well as you know you. Yeah. So how would the guru know what's going to specifically make you motivated better than you know how to make you motivated? I guess. Unless you've like, <clears throat> never been motivated in your life and you don't want to be motivated. That's a scary person. That's a scary person. Imagine a person who's never been motivated before. Ooh. I'm just imagining the kind of individual that that kind of functions outside the kind of standard social norms. Like there's some kind they could they could just break break the world as I know. Yeah. I feel like the reason I asked the question is personally I feel like self-motivation is something that humans would want to do. And I'd argue that from an evolutionary biology perspective, if you are that monkey or ape in the tree, doesn't really care about getting more food. I mean, you've got a bit of food. Doesn't really care about attracting more females. I mean, you've got one. And the same with, with the female, like, doesn't really care about attracting like multiple males and having them fight over her like what's going to happen is the people who do care are going to procreate more they're going to eat more and that process of natural selection is going to happen more aggressively so 
the environment in which they create will, will bring out that offspring. Now, if you're looking at the standard idea of evolution, then by that sense, most human beings should have a, desi a desire to not just live, but to thrive. Mm. You know, not, not just be like, yeah, I'm all right. But to actually be like, yeah, I, I want to be the best. Yeah. Actually, quite interesting. I was looking at um, a person called Jordan Peterson, which I would recommend looking into if you have you heard of him before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of him. He's quite a controversial figure. I haven't ever given enough of my time to learn about what he says. Right. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I know yeah. quite a few of his ideas and stuff. That was yeah. That's that's how I first heard of him. He was uh, a lot of um, a lot of people used his ideas in the kind of anti-feminism. Yeah, um, I heard about that. Yeah. Um, but as I as I read that more and more, they it was pretty much taken out of context. The mm. more the more that I I uh, hear this guy speak, and he, don't get me wrong, he's very like. If you get offended, then you are offended. But he's not like Ricky Gervais, where he's trying to make you offended. Mm. He's just laying out an idea. And being offended by the idea, which he believes to be the truth, yeah. is not, you know, that I'm trying to offend you. It's that I've observed this, and this seems to be the way. It's not that I'm there trying to, I don't know, what's, what's uh, that thing Ricky DeVace did, was when, where he called, uh, his name, Kim Kardashian's like, Dad. Oh, called Bruce. I don't know, Kylie Jenner. Um, Bruce Jenner's now called. Okay, no. Well, anyway, Caitlin? you know, yeah, maybe you know what I mean, and so do most yeah, of the people yeah. that will listen. They've all got. Okay. Yeah. Well, they he called. His joke was. Oh, a lot's changed this year. I've changed a lot this year, but not as much as Bruce Jenner. Referring to a sex change. Yeah. And. And. Um, basically, the community was offended because they'd, they'd uh, dead named him. So dead name was like this concept of He's a, he's a woman, he's now called this, and you've brought up this, and that's, that's like offensive and so on. Like, yeah. he hasn't actively sought out to offend the person, well, he's gone to, to say it, and he knew yeah. that it might offend him a little bit, yeah. but there's a whole concept to how you can offend someone and how you, you're offending. So they're literally creating structures in which they can be more offended. Mm. And like, I don't mind if, if you are upset by something. It's mm. very natural to hear something and be upset. Yeah. But to reinforce the ways in which you're upset seems like, you know, you're fanning the fire of motivation and you're using it to grow your your abilities to, to be upset. Mm. That's um, quite, quite strange. But back to Jordan Peterson. I can't remember why I brought him up now, but yeah, I think he—I think it was to do with um, motivation being innate and the desire for people to thrive. My next curiosity, though, is—is um, is it a marketing scam? Like, I mean, I didn't. Obviously, as a child, I didn't grow up and go, ooh, I need self-help. Yeah. But now, as an adult, the idea of self-help and life coaches and people who teach you how to fan that fictional fire mm. is, is very normal, very common. And you see it more and more with 
with the rise of advertisement and marketing, like people tell you how how to do it now. Yeah. Could the entire industry just be a marketing scam? No, I mean I know you want to be a life coach. Yeah, yeah, I do in some way. Um, and I also know that not too long ago, well, actually, what I was gonna say was that not too long ago there weren't really life coaches, but I think that's wrong. I think they were just probably like more religious based. Oh, okay. You know. But then yeah, I guess yeah. you could still call them life coaches. Um, I don't know if I can properly comment because I've never read like a self-help book. I've never really watched or listened to any like podcasts or videos about okay self-help. I've not really engaged in the industry as you call it. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure, because I guess you could say, like, if it works for even, like, one person... Yeah, that's worth it. Then, yeah, to some extent, it's worth it, but... Yeah. What I also believe is that the kind of effort could be redirected, you know, so if you are only helping, like, a few people, but there's such a big industry behind it, Either they're really good at selling their product, right? So let's say you've got only a few people, but they're going to the guru, they're getting the book, and Mm -hmm. they're doing this and that. They're really investing in the industry. Then you're like, oh, well, then it's acting more like a business than a method in which to help people. Yeah. I guess you can tell quite easily, like, what... um, certain motivation is for a company by looking at how much they charge for what. So if you've got well, a guru who's like yeah. saying, hey, I'm going to charge you 200 quid for an hour with me, I'm going to make your life so much better. Yeah. Then, I'm like, 200 quid for an hour with some geezer. Right, right. Like, that sounds yeah a bit ridiculous. Well... I know, I know what you mean. Um, in terms of like, if someone has their best intentions at heart, then they probably charge like the amount that they have to to live. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do know what you mean. Whether I agree with that is, is a different topic because it's come to my attention recently that pricing is not necessarily directly linked to the service that you're getting. Um, I mean, a, a simple idea would be like, imagine that gurus put like thousands of hours into developing himself. Now, something that I think a person, the average person might believe is kind of like a necessity to, to fan that flame, but thousands of hours into learning how to articulate skills that he he has and how he wants to help other people then i guess you could you could argue that okay maybe 200 pound is fine because you've actually spent about another 15 hours just learning about this and uncovering it from all the bullshit that i'm surrounded with but i do i do get your your point however In terms of, of is it a marketing scam? Like I'm, I'm quite op- optimistic for the human being. Mm. So I think that if it didn't exist, people would find some sort of purpose, like they'd they'd get on it, they'd, they'd do something. And I, from personal experience, like when people first started asking me what my favorite books were, I said it was self-help books. Because 
it was the first book that I read, which I really was like, oh yeah, and I, I can see myself getting caught up with it. When I, when someone talks about a self-help book, I'm like, really? Like I'm invested mm. in the idea of self-help, but the kind of message that a lot of self-help books have is, you know, read this book and that's it, you've been helped. Yeah. But you never really find someone who's got just one self-help book in the house. They've either got one, well, no, they've either got none, or... Like 200. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, I, you know, I wonder if if the whole, whole idea of, of uh, an external self-help industry is, uh, is just a, a kind of marketing in order to generate revenue, which yeah. again, then we talk about the, the whole like purpose behind uh, capitalist capitalism and whether it's a it's a benefit yeah. to like human motivation. Because yeah. obviously, people you know people chase after money. Money seems to add value to people to things. So it's. It's, a, it's definitely an interesting question, but I think just to summarize the, the things that we talked about, your motivations either come from within you or outside of you. You need to choose if you're going to take external motivation the types of people who are going to be in your life and you're going to put in a, in a position of authority and you need to be responsible for that and that can seem like a really big challenge especially if you're feeling down at this very moment listening to someone speak but although I just I've literally been saying you know is the self-help industry a scam? Mm. There's loads of tiny self-help things that will kind of motivate you to to get on your feet and start taking those first few steps. It's only because, for me, I personally, I love the self-industry, self-help industry, because it's like a safety net. Like, you can fucking fan that flame and keep going with your motivation... But then as soon as you crash, you know, you can sort of like hold on to, to a quick self-help book, read it, where you've you sort of got like a, they're usually written in a style where you feel like, oh, this person's felt shit too. They they understand the, sh the pain that I'm in right now. Which is not like a physical pain, so a lot, a lot of people necessarily relate. But, um, you know can find the self-help book quite easily mm. you can find styles that that people really like like even in self-help there's styles of of help you yeah. know some people you like go spiritual yeah exactly religion. spiritual like you can be like oh and i really like the idea of of uh like for example the the japanese samurai yeah. Like I like their their motto and their philosophy. Why? Because it's kind of it's un this unbending will, this, this honesty. It, yeah. it helps separate maybe certain ideas. That for me, the idea that someone can change their mind yeah. is stressful. Because then you know it kind of quite you sort of start to question whether you can trust them. Mm. You know, if they say one thing and you take it seriously and then the next moment they say another thing mm. all of a sudden it's like fuck I've made the mistake by trusting them mm. so the idea of the samurai spirit and the the uh, the like Roman stoics yeah. is very enticing because they believe that man well the stoics at least man should be pretty much honest and mm. try to make the, the best of him without being swayed by too much emotion 
without exaggerating certain things. So that for me is a very enticing style of self-help. But for other people, there there's there's lots of types, and I'd I'd encourage people to to give it a read just to know they exist, even. Mm. Yeah, mm. I think um, maybe we'll wrap up wrap it up for this week. If you've got any suggestions and you listen to the whole thing, thank you very much. I'd That's love good. to take them on board. Um, thanks from myself and Luca. We go. Yeah, uh, he'll be starting his journey to Georgia in October. Ooh. Yeah, yeah.